This is Fix It. I'm Kevin, and there's no Nishant today. He got stuck on one hell of a Netflix binge, but the fixing must go on. Today, we're fixing the unsustainability of the tourism industry with Todd Montgomery. Todd has packed a bag or two in his life. Having worked in tourism for more than two decades, he's an expert on the impact of automation and tech in the travel industry. Currently, he serves as the Robin and Kurt Bainey Endowed Professor in Hospitality Management at Oregon State University. As a program lead for the school's hospitality management program, he continues to train Oregonians in his craft. A man of many trades himself, he's also the co-host and co-producer of Tech Trek, a TV show highlighting innovative automation technology from around the world. Great to have you on, Todd. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, let's start with the main problem we're fixing today, the lack of sustainability in tourism. Can you tell us a little bit more about why it's a problem and perhaps the scope of that problem? Yeah, I would first start off by just saying tourism has been broken uh, and it's been broken for a long time. And really COVID-19 is, is a unique opportunity to fix it. It's, if you think about how airlines have tried to figure out more and more ways to cram people into smaller spaces, long lines at theme parks, parking at major tourist destinations, or even nature-based tourist destinations. I mean, I think of of a time I went to Palau. Palau is a a dive destination kind of southeast of of the Philippines, world-renowned diving, beautiful diving. And I was... um, just snorkeling with a couple people and there was those floaty cones and there was about 20 people lined up and I literally got ran over. I had to duck, go under the water and through them to get over them. And it just, it just shocked me that there could be that many people in a small place. And I got to say, I'm part of the problem too. It's my, my, yeah, it is. My, my background is in pricing, in pricing optimization. And so what we do is we try to maximize the revenue optimization of every square foot. So I am not above this, uh, but this is what's been happening. But we've really hit a point where multiple stakeholders are now being impacted and really starting to push back. And one of those is nature. I think this is so timely, obviously, as you hinted, because of COVID-19, but also just the larger framework of how do we be good global citizens and good global travelers in our own home state, thinking about Oregon, the fact that an article came out today about folks defecating in Crater Lake in the Bend Bulletin. And you think about the lack of stewardship. And as you're pointing to, the lack of a need for tourists on a individual by individual basis to internalize their own costs. They, no one's bearing the price of their egregious behavior but you're passing all those negative costs on to someone else and most particular to the planet. For sure. And, and you know, that's not uncommon in a lot of businesses. Uh, but I think be, if you look at tourism, most tourism is based on something that the environment that nature has provided. So it, it may not be the direct reason they're going to the destination, but it's a reason the destination exists in the first place. I think of Bend, Oregon, the Deschutes River. If we didn't have the Deschutes, I don't think Bend would exist, right? Think about Mount Bachelor and other things. And there, you could name any destination across the world and you would find a very similar 
situation. And so it's, you know, the argument a lot of times when you talk about, you know, what you're referring to as negative externalities is, you know, what's going to be the impact and, and what, how, how do you account for those? What do you, what do you do? Um, and often business will push back a little bit and they'll say, well, you know, we're trying to, we're trying, we're providing uh, food and, and, and income to our families, our workforce. We're providing livelihoods. We've taken risks. And all those are incredibly valid. Um, but the, the other side of that is, you know, I've traveled enough around the world to see many failed tourism destinations. And so what happens when, when, that, when that takes place? It's usually because the destination was not looked after long term. And so what you end up with is a few local stakeholders that have benefited and, and done quite well for themselves. But when the next big thing comes, the next remote place, that destination has been essentially uh, what was what attracted people there has been damaged and the locals are, are left with a damaged product. And so I look at the financial side, the business side as a good financial decision, particularly if you're owning the asset, because if you own the asset, that means but that you're going to get a return on that investment over the long term. And the only way you do that is by keeping the reason people come for future generations and obviously by not uh, overcrowding and damaging that product. So you mentioned that this isn't a new problem. Tourism has been broken for a long time. And you identified one key reason, this idea of negative externalities and kind of the underlying incentives for the business model especially if there's a lack of ownership of that natural resource leading to some deleterious behaviors. So are there any other barriers you would point to or things that you think have exacerbated the lack of sustainability in tourism? Well, I mean, I think there's, there's quite a few. I mean, that's a good question. Uh, you know, there's first, there's ones that people just don't know the impact, right? They, they go to a place like Hawaii and, and, and then they leave seven days later, right? And they don't know what impact they've had. And, you know, that those, unless it's transparent, unless it's, you know, really in somebody's face, it's difficult. You know, I lived on some islands. Uh, my wife is Micronesian uh, from the Pacific Islands. And, you know, you, you can go back and visit these popular destinations and the most obvious is trash right? Or, or just something, uh, or, you know, a lot of times, because I've spent a lot of time on resorts, walking on the coral reef, damaged reef. I mean, if you're a diver, you see that, you know that, you identify that immediately. You know, in the shoots, right? I take my kids out, we go on the paddleboard, we float down. Um, you know, you, if you go to the end of the, uh, the Mirpon Dam, uh, you see the trash, you know, not intentional, but just things that have fallen off the, the rafts. Uh, kind of pile up in this sort of corner part of the of the pond, and so I think it's first that, and I, and I don't I don't look at that as you know passing blame on anybody. It's just it's just part of being human. We're just doing things. We've got kids. I've got little kids, and things are falling out, and you're just trying to have them enjoy the experience and, and also in, enjoy uh, time together. But then the other side to that is you know why. Why is this happening? And, and for me, it really comes back to incentives. If you look at, you know, going, going back to the pollution example or that this is ex negative externalities have been around for a long time. If you go back to that, uh, you know, you have the EPA, right? There, there's an externality and then the government comes in and tries to correct that market inefficiency. Now, how do you do that? 
Well, there's subsidies, there's taxes, there's all kinds of things you can do. But when it comes to tourism, really most of that, uh, the EPA of tourism, if that's the right way to put it, would really be the tourism board. And the, the destination management, often it's a destination marketing. Sometimes there is not management as a part of that core responsibility. But those are the organizations that really are designed to represent all stakeholders and represent the destination for the long term, not for a short-term shareholder profit or you know, just getting to the next quarter. It's for 20, 30, 100 years from now. With that in mind, if you were the head of one of these tourism boards, what sorts of changes would you recommend that folks start making in light of this kind of pivot moment presented by COVID? What are the actions that they should be assessing for shifting those incentives? Well, the exciting thing that's happening right now, and if you just read just random headlines, I actually, I pulled up some headlines. Nice. Uh, I mean, I literally just right before <laughs> I, I took a look to see what is happening. All right. So here's one headline. Here in Greece, it feels like the age before tourism became mass tourism. As pen- and there's another one. As pandemic kicks mass tourism, islands seek to mend ties with nature. Nature is the biggest winner from COVID-19 uh, lockdowns. That was from po- uh, popular uh, mechanics. Wow. These... First of all, it's attention. And we have never seen this amount of attention um, brought to these areas. And I think it kind of goes back to just, you know, what's in your face, right? And, and now you're seeing sea life return to Waikiki, you know, one of the most popular beaches in the world, right? You're seeing things. Uh, you see things. What I found it really interesting in March and April when the economy was just tanking, uh, that people were monitoring the pollution levels in China to see how much economic output was happening. Right. And you know, these are just things that we kind of know, but we never really had a baseline to know what it was without it. And now we kind of know. So first is the attention, uh, the focus, and I'm relatively optimistic it's there. But the second is the incentives of how tourism boards are funded. If you look at how tourism boards are funded generally, it's a hotel occupancy tax. So there is a massive incentive to bring in as many tourists as you can to pay that tax, which then funds all kinds of things. So right there, there's a huge incentive to, you know, award mass tourism, to create a situation. Now, I know a lot of these tourism board folks. These are good people that really are looking at the long term of what they're trying to do. But it's if you have a model that rewards more tourists and just by nature, more tourists has, if, if the environment cannot sustain it, is going to have an impact. So change the economic model, change the incentives. And that's not really that difficult. I mean, that, that is not a big thing to say, all right, so on average, you bring in a million dollars in a, a hotel occupancy. We're going to change it to where we're going to give you this fund. It's going to come from a different source. It's not going to be tied to this hotel occupancy. And, um, you know, and, and then it'll be interesting to see how people start maneuvering or changing, right? And I think that's a really big one that is fairly simple to, to do that could have a huge impact. The second one, though, is, you know, often it comes back to who has a seat at the table. And um, 
you know, most often those, those board positions go to industry. And I come from industry and I represent industry and I, and I want them and I, I, they need to be at the table. They're, they're the entrepreneurs. They're creating these opportunities and, and, and doing so much for our community. But at the same time, if you look at all the stakeholders, right, there's workforce, there's nature, obviously business, and then there's just the local community, the, the people that maybe don't have a direct tie to tourism, but want, the, want, want what's best for the economy. They need to all have a seat at the table and they need to have an equal representation. Uh, and then when that happens, then all of a sudden, I think conversations start changing. Perspectives of what we need to do, the daily decision making. Now, and I go back to, once again, tourism boards often aren't a management company. And, and COVID-19 has exposed that, right? We've seen a lot of people say, you know, people are worried about super spreaders. It happened in Idaho, you know, where, where people were, you know, oh, I hear it's, it's a low rate, low infection rate. Let's go visit there, right? And then it brings on more, more, um, uh, more infections. And then people ask, well, why can't we shut it down? And what we're really learning is that nobody really knows how to shut it down. It's an individual choice in a free society. And that's why, you know, I lived in China and, and I know in Asian countries that have had a lot of success or more success than we have had, and I would even include Europe in there, it's because they have mechanisms and, and government organizations to be able to manage people and, and manage the decision making. And right now in tourism, you know, you go get in a van and you want to go visit the place. I mean, you right. can do that, right? And there's, there's nothing that's going to stop that. So everyone and their mom seems to have a sprinter van these days. It is. <laughs> it is. So thinking about the blessing and the curse that comes from the fact that we are a very individual liberty focused country and that so much of the onus for protecting our environment and for advancing more sustainable tourism is on the individual. What tips, what best practices would you pass on to our listeners who are trying to be a little more conscious of their environmental footprint as well as their impact on the communities they visit? Well, I think, you know, this is relatively easy, but, you know, because everybody in, in particularly in this, this moment is experiencing different levels of pain and discomfort with what's happening right now is to first just check, check on what the local tourism board, what the local destination is saying um, about tourism, uh, about visiting their place, uh, about where they should stay. Uh, you know, there's some really common sense things and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people spending a lot of hours really being very smart about how they write that and thinking about how to spread people out and social distancing and all that. Uh, that's number one. Just be informed is really the best way to put that. The, the, the second is, you know, I know this is probably idealistic, but, you know, walk in other people's shoes, right? I mean, think of the community that you're going and, and how you would perceive uh, that. And, and that's not just about COVID. I'd say in general, you know, what, what do you, what kind of place do you want to live in? Freedom is, you know, the greatest blessing, you know, America, we're just so lucky to have that, but that's not an excuse for, you know, for being selfish, right? It, it, there's a balance there and in looking out for our common citizens, uh, particularly those, the older citizens, those that are, uh, you know, have a higher uh, chance of something going wrong. I mean, we've, we've just got to be more responsible um, from that. And then on the other side is, 
what accommodation you choose, the accommodation selections, um, uh, what you do when you're there, uh, the, the restaurants and the type of eating establishments. I mean, you know, I, I'm really torn when I say stuff like that because I think about, uh, you know, I think about the mom and pop that has designed a restaurant for an in-person, full-service, inside experience. And now they have to completely reinvent their, their model, their business model. But I will say a lot of them are doing it and they're figuring it out. They're opening up sidewalk space, all these kinds of things. Um, I think all of those, you know, rewarding companies that are trying to do the right thing is just from an economic standpoint, I, that, that is one of the most impactful things uh, that, that's going to get us through this. But then on the flip side of this, and I, you know, I don't, I know a lot of people are already kind of there. The stock market is already on the flip side of this, right? We're already saying what's it going to be like uh, planning for this uh, recovery is how do we take the lessons that we've learned uh, and ensure that we don't have a short-term memory? Because, you know, in the world that we live in, information is flying at us. It's the next shiny object, right? It's the next thing. And how do we, how do we learn from this? Uh, and how do the people that can truly influence these decisions um, learn from this and, and, and set us on a path? Because I go back, I always go back to the same thing. It is in the business's long-term financial interest. They will get a higher return on investment for the asset if they look after the asset, which obviously is in the destination that they're in. And, um, and, and there, there are people doing it. There are great companies that are doing it. And I think it's just about rewarding those companies and, and, and making sure that we bring all that information and start applying it along with some of those other ideas we discussed. Well, awesome, Todd. Thank you so much. Hopefully all of our fixers are going to listen to this and be much better stewards of the environment and even safer travelers when they get the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I hope so. I look forward to uh, hearing about what, what after this whole thing's over. In January, February, March, it'll be very interesting to see, and hopefully we're on a great path forward. Big thanks to Todd for joining us. Always fun to talk with an Oregonian, even if they're affiliated with Oregon State. For those who don't know, there's a big rivalry between my school, the University of Oregon, and Oregon State. Putting that aside, Make sure to use hashtag Fixer on Twitter to tell us about the problems you're solving, as well as to tweet us at fix underscore cast. Be sure to spread the word, and we'll see you next time, Fixer.